This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of At The Turn. So much to get to on this episode. Before we get into any of it, I have to remind you, Nick, we have another contest going on. Another major championship is right around the corner. The British Open. The Open Championship. You have the opportunity to win a sampler pack of Piper golf balls. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. Rate the podcast. Leave your British Open winner in the review If you're right, Piper Golf is going to send you a sampler pack of their amazing golf balls. If you can't wait, go to piper.golf. Use that promo code TURN10 at checkout to save 10% off. Besides the balls, Nick, they got the lids. We got hooked up with some Piper hats. The Piper hats are sweet. It's, It's an awesome logo. I got the white rope hat. It's got... Just the crisp black Piper logo with the black rope. Everything else is is clean and white. I love it. I'm gonna wear it to play golf on Saturday, and it's it may not look the same again, but I'm gonna rock it all summer, and I can't wait. White is a bold choice. Good for you. Okay, we're gonna talk about the official World Golf Rankings. A wonderful Mad Golfer of the Week, an exciting Nick Rules. Nick, I'm going to ask you about going to the Travelers Championship because you did attend that tournament, did you not? I did. I went to the Friday round of the Travelers Championship with with my wife and with another couple, and um, yes, we we absolutely did. What would you like? What would you like to know, Joe? So tell me about it. You went you went on a Friday, so you're there for the second round. What time of day did you go? <clears throat> um, we went. We got there around 10 a.m. and our plan was to post up on the 15th hole, the drivable par four. We've been watching the highlights. There's oh, yeah. a, a beautiful – so my wife just entered her ninth month of pregnancy. We were with another couple who um, was due to have their baby on Monday. 
two days after we three days after we were at the tournament. Whoa. So we were we were trying to be as stationary as possible, be as close to restrooms, water, shade, you know, but still catch a lot of the action. So we see this beautiful grandstand behind the 15th hole. You can see the 15th, the 18th, the 17th. Like, this is great. Um, it was a super hot day. 90s, no shade were there from like 10 a.m. to 2 or 3. Um, however, this grandstand we had all picked out was only for I don't know who, not not general ticket holders. Um, so we we couldn't go up there. So we're like sitting on the hill. I, of all the the pregnant women in in um, our group, I was the one being like, guys, it's too hot. We're sitting, we're sitting inside. We need to go find some shade and some water. Um, so that that played a role. But other than that, we we had a great time. We got to see a lot of um, golfers we wanted to see. And some pretty cool golf holes. Yeah. 15th on that course is the one to go to. Um, I watched a little bit of the coverage. I watched Rory make a triple there, which was pretty fun. It's a perfect risk-reward hole. So you had to have like a VIP badge basically to sit in that grandstand. Yeah, exactly. So we were on the hill behind the green for a little while. Uh, Then we were honestly greenside on the 17th for a while too, which was just as sweet because you get you get to see these approach shots over water. The Friday pin was just over the water. It looked like a Sunday pin location, to be honest. Um, so that was pretty sweet. And then we went to the ninth to catch some guy. We, we wanted to catch Rory, Xander, Tony Finau. We, those guys were like all in a row. So we watched like six groups go through the ninth. And uh, yeah, it was good stuff. Okay, so rate and review the Travelers Championship. As give a golf tournament, yeah, as a golf tournament, I'll give it four out of five stars. Um, to be honest, the experience, the on course experience, I would probably give three out of five because out of all those magnificent things I just highlighted, there were there's there are some downfalls. There was some pretty rude people. I'm going to be honest <laughs> on this 90 degree day with with two pregnant women. We had people literally like cutting in front of us in the water. Like I'm, I'm about to fill up water for, for two, uh, two water bottles in my hand. And like people are cutting in front of us. We have our chairs set up by the ropes because clearly they, they need to be sitting down. People walk right in front between like the rope and the per like, I'm just like, are you, are you people serious? Um, so there was some, there was some off-putting things, you know, and, and ultimately, um, it, it was great being there. I mean, it, it was, but sometimes I think following the action, like if we were trying, if it was a Sunday, you'd have no idea what's going on in the tournament. There's leaderboards, but you know, it, it, getting a context of the tournament is, is probably too far out of reach. Getting the experience, seeing the players, seeing the holes, experiencing the course, getting some good food, some good drinks. That's what you're there for. We did that and we loved it. Yeah. The practice round, man, if you're going to go to a tournament, I'm telling you, ever since I did the practice round, I don't think I can go back. Like, if I win a Masters lottery ticket for Sunday, I'm going to go. But Monday ticket would be cool, too. Just walk around and check it out. Yeah. All right, Nick, you have three choices. You can get the short version, which is just the result in the last hole. You can get the medium version, which is the result and a little bit leading up to it. Or you can get the long version. Which of the three do you want? I want the long version. I I want, yeah, give me me the long version. Okay. So what I'm talking about is I have entered a match play tournament 
that is supposed to take place throughout the duration of the summer. It's being put on by the Northwest Golf Guys, which is a group, very successful group that puts on tournaments, the best venues in Oregon. They take trips to Pebble. I think they have a trip to Scotland, Pinehurst. They put on a lot of tournaments in the area. I'm in a match play tournament. So how it works is 128 people signed up. They email you and your opponent. You and your opponent have two and a half weeks to find a venue and play a match with handicap. First round match took care of business in 19 holes. My second round match was yesterday. Mm. So I'm going to fast forward to the 16th hole. Okay. 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 So I am one up with three to play. I was leading almost the entire day. I had as big of a lead as three up through eight. It got down to one up. He won 15. And so we're standing on the 16th tee, a par five. Zach struggled with the driver at times. He tops his drive off the tee. So I'm like, all right, Joey, let's send one here. And that's exactly what I did. A bomb up the left side of the fairway. He hits a good second to get himself back in play. He's probably got 150 out for his third. I have 210. I absolutely lace a four iron, but it's into the setting sun. We're playing very, very late in the day. So I can't really see where it finished, but it started on the right side of the green and was drawing right back to the flag. And like, I didn't really say anything, but I'm like, I might be writing a two down because that thing is perfect. (laughs) We get up to the green. It's not to be. I have 50 feet for Eagle. He's chipping for birdie. He hits a so-so chip. He's like eight feet short. The pin is at the very, very back of the green. There's a ridge you got to go up. So I have an eagle putt, and I'm like, all right, dum-dum. Let's not race this thing off the green. And of course, I leave it short. So I'm putting for birdie. He's putting for par. Our balls are so close to each other. We're playing with two random guys who know we're playing a match. Mm -hmm. We can't decide whose ball's farther away. They can't decide whose balls are farther away. So he's like, do you want to Rochambeau? And I had two white claws, and I was like, sure, that sounds like fun. Let's Rochambeau it. And we throw, and I lose. And I turn to him and I say, so do you want to go first? (laughs) And he, of course, says no. I leave my putt short, but I'm in for par. So if he misses this putt, he's dorming with two to go. Mm -hmm. And I told him after the fact, he he poured it in. And I told him the next tee because he was a very friendly guy. I said, Zach, I would have bet $1,000 you were going to make that putt. He had a perfect read. It was straight uphill, just a little right to left, and he knocked it in. So we're on 17. I still have a one-up lead. I hit a really good tee shot. It's a par four. The fairway slopes severely from right to left. So you want to basically be in the left-hand rough for the only flat lie on the hole. So I hit it great. I have 100 yards in for my second shot. He blasts it way right into the 18th fairway. I have a cart. He's walking. So I drive up there first because I want to find his ball. And we find it. He's like 170 out, but doesn't have a very good angle. So I'm driving back to my ball thinking like, all right, well, let's take, just, take care of it right here. Let's just put it on the green and two putt. We're going to be fine. I'm down below. He's probably 60 yards above me. And I can see his ball in the air. And in the air, I'm just like, oh, shit, that's such a good shot. (laughs) And he lands it short. It bounces off the back of the green. But he's got 40 feet for birdie. Hit a really good shot. I hit a good wedge to like 10 feet. Wrong side of the hole. It's a tough putt. He hits such a good friggin' birdie putt, dude. Like, he almost made it. Probably broke, broke four feet. He has a tap in for par. But I'm standing on 17 over a birdie putt. If I make this, I win the match. 
Oh, yeah. But this putt is quick, and it breaks a lot. So I'm saying to myself, Joe, I know you want to give it a chance, but you three putting from 10 feet and then having to stand on 18 <laughs> does not sound great. <laughs> so I try to cozy it up there. Time out, it, time out, time out. Okay, go ahead. Your self-talk is the best. <laughs> What should I be thinking at that point? Let's bury this in the match. Well, you should be thinking, hit a good putt. <laughs> well, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, we got to cozy this thing down there. If it goes in, great. If not, the worst that's going to happen is we go to extra holes. There we go. I hit a good putt. It runs th- two and a half feet by. Now, this is a length of putt that has been conceded all day, but he didn't give it to me. And there's no way I would have given it to him. No, no chance. But it was straight up the hill. I deliberated way too long trying to find some break. I smack it in the back of the hole. I'm one up going into 18. Okay. Hey, that's that's a good par putt. It is. I made a lot of good par putts. Um, so 18 is a, one of the most difficult holes in Portland. It's 420 yards. And we're playing the white tees. It's 420 yards. You basically have a couple of field goal trees that you got to hit through for the fairway. If you're left, you're dead in a bunch of trees. If you're right, you're down into 17 and you're making at least a bogey. He still has the tee box because I haven't won a hole in a while. He blasts it way right. And so he is probably down the hill on 17. So I'm thinking to myself, should I just pull a five iron out right now? And boy, I should have because I hit it (laughs) way left. I hit a tree like 80 yards off the tee box Again, we're back into the sun. I have no idea where it goes. So I hit a provisional to be safe. I hit it in the exact same fucking spot. So I have two balls. I don't know where either of them are. I drive around for a while. Again, the shadows are long. There's a ton of white little flowers everywhere. I find my second ball. Fine. Can't find my first ball. Cannot find my first ball. So I make a seven. I lose the hole. Zach makes a par. He found his tee shot. He he p- just pitches out into the fairway, hits a good shot. I had a pitch from like, I don't know, 20 yards for double. I missed it. And I said, let's, let's pick up. So he, he made, now this is important. He made par. Would he, cause you conceded it or, or he was going to make par. Like if you hit that five iron, would, would par have, have, what, what you would have won the match. Cause, cause you were one up. He would have changed his, I, I asked him. As we uh, approached the 10th hole, which was our 19th, because I was curious, I was like, how bad was your lie? And he was like, I was in a tree well. If you didn't, it, like if you found your first ball, I probably would have tried to go for the green because he thinks he needs a birdie or, or par at worst to try to win the hole. But yeah. no, it totally changed his plan. He would have he would have had to make like an eight footer for par, but I conceded it. So before the match, we said we were going to play extra holes instead of like a putt off or a chip off because... To play four and a half hours and then have a 15-foot putt, it's stupid. Yeah. So we're on 10, which is a par five, downwind. There's water left, trees right. It's a very unique hole. The green is blocked off completely, even from like 60 yards out, unless you're on the extreme left-hand side of the fairway. The water from the white tees to carry it is probably only like 270. So if I hit it decent, it's going to carry, so I'm never concerned with it. Zach's up first. He duffs another tee shot. Another one. It sounds like like you're playing with Jordan Spieth. You're you're describing Jordan Spieth. (laughs) It felt like it. I'm just like, 
Make contact with this golf ball and you're going to win the match. What do I do but pop it up right into the fucking water? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. <clears throat> so so I know you're a long hitter, but your 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 safety play is to is a 270-yard force carry with the driver when when your opponent's in trouble. If you if you saw this hole, you would you would see that it makes sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I trust you. Because like it's one of those where the layup is more of a precision shot than hitting it long. Like there's a lot of trouble short, but if you're long enough, you're gonna be fine. And I and I actually hit the driver very well. So I was like, just make square contact. And of course I did not. Mm. Into the water. Zach hits his second up the fairway a little bit. I have to drop behind this water. So now I have 260 in for my third shot on a par five. I have tree limbs, <laughs> tree limbs that are probably like 20 feet off the ground. If I go left, I'm back into the trees. I have to get this ball in play. I'm standing like on a side hill because that's where the drop was. And I have like a choked up eight iron. And I'm just like, let's just see what happens. Thing comes off like a BB. It probably goes like 180 somehow like super low also i i'm not really sure how it happened but i'm just gonna take it yeah so i'm laying Eight iron stinger yeah i'm laying 380 yards zach has like 240 and he pulls out a three wood just hits a fucking terrible shot way right into the trees i'm watching for it thing springboards back out into oh. the fairway into the fairway so we're both line three. Zach is like 20 yards in the green with a clear chip. I'm like 80 yards away. And I can't hit like a normal wedge shot. I have to hit like a low punch. It comes off okay. It bounces a little bit left. I have 35 feet for par just off the green. So Zach has a pretty easy chip. And he's like, at this point, got to be thinking, if I just put it on the green and two put, I'm going to win this match. He hits an okay chip to about 12 feet. So I have 35 feet for par just off the green. Zach is on my line. I have him pull the flag out. I have him mark to the right. And I'm like, no, that's wrong. And then I have him mark two to the left. Now, in regulation, I had this exact same putt. I hit it too hard. I hit a great putt. So I'm thinking to myself, just hit the same putt. And Nick, I have to tell you, the moment it left my club face, I knew it was in. Oh, I love it. I, I love bury to hear it. it. Bury the 35 footer. I told my dad this story. He's like, you must have freaked out. And I was like, I didn't say a word. I said nothing. Just like oh. you knew it was going in. Exactly. Just <laughs> always a par. I grabbed the flag stick. Zach has 12 feet to keep the match going. Left it about three feet short. <laughs> and I advanced to the round of 32. Wow. I love that. I'm so glad I got the full version. Yeah, buddy. Um, nice work. Congrats, Joe. Thank you. So two matches down. Both were in 19 holes. Both where I had a lead on the 18th hole and couldn't close the deal. <laughs> and then somehow got it done in 19 holes. Yeah. So. That's, that is, um, I love all the action there. Man, I would love to get a match play tournament going. Yes. Like, we got to do it. We got to get point. like, yes, 100%. The whole point of this is to say how much fun this format is. And like, if you win a prize or a trophy for winning this thing, that'd be cool. But I'm just excited that I'm guaranteed three matches this summer. Like, it's very, very fun. 
it's played with handicap. The first guy I played was a 10. I played as a seven. This guy was an eight. So we're very evenly matched. There wasn't a lot of strokes given. The next guy I'm playing I saw is a 17. So that'll be interesting. Mm. So I've been giving him 10 shots. But either way, it's just really fun to play this kind of format, have it be kind of psychological. The two guys have played have been really super laid back. The first guy I got like really messed up and (laughs) drank a bunch of beer and offered me joints like every four holes. And yeah, it was just really, really fun. Um, Play match play if you can. Okay. Now, Nick, before we get to the world golf rankings, I just want to ask you a quick question. Okay. Do you like playing golf on the 4th of July? This episode was released on the 4th of July. Do you like playing golf on Independence Day? Yeah, because I like playing golf and <laughs> it's the most Nick and July, and July is a great time to play golf. The fact that it's the Fourth of July and it's a holiday has absolutely no bearing on wow. um, how much I, I enjoy playing golf. Um, I, I don't often have a lot of like other plans. I don't have like a Fourth right. of July tradition. We don't have a we don't go to the lake house or you know whatever. It's just a. You know, hey, if I get the day off work, it's another chance for me to to maybe get out there. So yeah, I, I play. I like doing it every once in a while. The analogy I like to make is playing golf on the Fourth of July is like going to the bar on New Year's Eve. It's fun to do once in a while, but it's going to be a little bit different. It's not like it's going to be your normal weekend round. It's going to be long. It's going to take a while. Maybe get some people out there that aren't really. Usually out there, some tourists. It's fine. That's fine. It's fun to experience, I think, twice a decade. I am playing golf this 4th of July, very early in the morning at the golf course that we're going to talk about for the Mad Golfer of the Week. Um, But yeah, to me, it's a little bit like New Year's Eve. Do you think that's fair or unfair? Uh, I've never noticed it. I've Mm. never thought about it. Uh, do you, do you lean into it or do you, or are you the curmudgeon? Yeah. You know, no, I mean, people are playing music. Hey, turn, turn that down. You know, no, I mean, <laughs> what look, are you, what are you guys doing? It's 8am. Or are you just like, all right, here we are. Fourth of July. We're just yeah. going to, we're just going to do whatever happens. Exactly. It's I'm out there. I know what I signed up for. I'm not going to go out and be pissed that the round's going to take five hours. I go out there knowing the round's going to take five hours. It's fine. It's just, you have to change your mindset around it. Just like New Year's Eve. It's like. I can't get too drunk because I don't know who's going to be out here tonight. This isn't this isn't the typical night at my bar. Everyone's coming out to the bar, but I'll be out there. Are you playing golf this year on the fourth? Um, I don't think so. I have a tee time for Saturday. I don't think that. I think that's the second. So, um, I don't know. Doubtful, but I remain optimistic. Hot dogs? What are you guys doing? I'll, I'll say tonight because this is coming out on the fourth of July. Yeah, um, a barbecue. We're actually we're actually going to a barbecue. Um, with a at some family's house should be fun. Sounds good. Some white claws, yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Are you ready to get into this? Let's do it. So, very recently, Greg Norman, CEO of Live Golf, applied for the Live Golf tournaments to count towards players' official World Golf rankings. And so I wanted to understand, when did this start? Who is in charge of it? 
And then we'll talk about the importance of Liv being awarded these points. Does that sound like the right way to go about it? Yeah. So the short version of it is late 70s and early 80s, a lot of international players like Faldo and Seve began to challenge the norm because the PGA Tour money list was essentially the thing that was the representation of who was the best player in the world. If Tom Kite was the number one money winner in 1979, Tom Kite was considered the best player in the world. The Euro stars, people from Japan, Australia, thought this was unfair. In addition to that, the Royal and Ancient Golf Club, who is the USGA of the United Kingdom, they run the British Open, the Open Championship, they wanted a better way for players to be able to qualify and be exempt for the tournament. So what they decided to do was create a unified ranking system for the European Tour, the PGA Tour, and other satellite tours to basically determine who the best players in the world are. That has become the way that major championships, it's become the way the World Golf Championships and many other prestigious international events have entrance into their tournament. And that's why it's so crucial for Liv to be awarded World Golf ranking points for these events. 95% of the guys playing in these tournaments won't have a way to play in the Masters, the British Open, or the U.S. Open moving forward. I say 95% because like a Brooks Kepka, a Dustin Johnson, these guys have won major championships, so they're automatically <laughs> exempt. But if you go farther down the list, someone like an Abraham Answer, he gets in these events on the strength of his World Golf ranking. So if he only plays live golf events, his World Golf ranking is going to go so low, he won't have the opportunity to play in these majors again. Does that sound right, Nick? It's the same reason Ricky Fowler can't get into these tournaments. They're just too exclusive. <laughs> Poor Ricky. He's just become a punching bag on like golf Twitter, every golf podcast these days. Yeah. So it looks like uh, you you laid out some, uh, some some facts and figures here. Do you want to run through these? Yeah, just just each of the four majors, because like you said, if you're if you've won any of the majors except for um, which one is it only has a 10 year exemption. The U.S. Open has a 10 year exemption. They all. The rest of them have lifetime exemptions. Yeah, you get the least amount of stuff for winning the U.S. Open, basically. Yeah. So if you win the Masters, you can always play in the Masters. You win the British, you can always play in the British. Um, if you win, if you win a major, I think you're exempted to other majors for five years. So, so there's obviously, if you've won one of these things, you're kind of in the club for at least at least a half a decade or so. Outside of that, it's kind of world rankings. I mean, there's a few other things here and there. Um, if you finished top 10 the previous year, you know, it's a, it's a one-year thing. But the Masters, top 50 in the OWGR at two points in time, either the week prior or the end of the previous year. Um, PGA Championship, PGA Championship's a little bit different. If if you were on the most recent Ryder Cup team and you're in the top 100 of the OWDR, OWGR, then you're in. Um, they have some other qualifying too top 70 in the PGA Tour money list. So that's not going to be any of the live guys, obviously. U.S. Open, top 60 in the OWGR, three weeks prior and one week prior to the Open. And the British Open, same thing, top 50, uh, two to three weeks prior gets you in. So that's how a lot of these guys who, like you said, the aim answers of the world, who are prominent players who we've seen, but they haven't won majors yet. They haven't won multiple majors. They don't have these long exemptions into the into the majors. Yeah. And, and, and these the are OWGR, guys that are... 
just to one more point yeah, on yeah, that, please. it kind of protects its own because the WGCs are kind of part of that. So if you're in the top 50 in the OWGR, you get into the, the WGC, which just basically feeds you more free OWGR points just to kind of maintain that that cushion. So you get out of the top 50, now all of a sudden you're not in the majors, so you're not getting those, o, those OWGR points. You're not invited to, to the WGCs, so you're not getting those points. It becomes much harder to get yourself back into that club. So... Who makes the determination if Greg Norman and the Live Golf Tournaments actually can win world golf ranking points for their events, which is so crucial to the success of Live? I mean, to me, this is the make or break if Live is going to succeed. Because Dustin and Brooks and Bryson and Patrick Reed, they may not give a shit about the Zerdek Classic or the Tournament of Champions on the PGA Tour, or or any of those, they definitely care about the Masters. They definitely care about the U.S. Open. And here are the people that are making those th- this decision. This is the board of directors of the World Ranking System. The chairman is Peter Dawson, who ran the Royal and Ancient for years and years and years. The executive director of Augusta National Golf Club, Will Jones. Chief executive of the European Tour, Keith Pelley. The CEO of the PGA of America, Seth Waugh, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, Chief Executive of the Royal and Ancient Martin Slumbers, CEO of the USGA Mike Wan, and the International Federation of PGA Tours Representative Keith Waters and the Secretary Ben Bai. So basically, the people who are in charge of the major championships are in charge of the world golf rankings. And Nick, I'm dying to know what you think. I was on one side of this before. I've completely flipped back the other way. There is no way, no way that you cannot allow live golf tournaments to have world golf ranking points. There isn't. You can't. Go ahead. No, I agree with that. I, I don't think they will get their application approved. I think that these good old boys who you, who you just mentioned will bar the live from points. Really? And I, I think they will do that. And I think that's wrong. As much as I can I disagree with Liv, I don't support it. I haven't watched a second of it. Um, when you have Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed, as much as you may hate them, when you have them playing for significant money in a competitive, you know, air quotes or not, golf tournament, they they need to get world ranking points. It, it needs to be acknowledged. I mean, if some of these tours that get world ranking points, yeah, bro, uh, I pulled that list up too. You got that list in front of you. Listen to some of these tours that get world ranking points: the Big Easy Tour, the Alps Golf Tour, the Sunshine Tour Winter Series, the Winter Series in South Africa, the Abima Tour, the All Thailand Tour, the. Something like 26 tours currently get world mm-hmm. golf ranking points. So from a pure Nordic golf league. Yeah. So from a pure perspective of do we have a strong enough field to necessitate world golf ranking points being in there? The answer is unequivocally yes. And I think I think it would be a huge mistake for the world golf rankings not to award them points because what you could possibly happen is these guys have already decided that they don't care about the PGA Tour. That's fine. But for the majors to be considered as important as they are, you have to get the best players in the world. 
And if you're the executive chairman of the Masters, if you're Mike Wan of the USGA, you want Phil Mickelson at your tournament. You want Dustin Johnson at your tournament. You want Bryson DeChambeau. And even though professional golf is fractured in a way that I really couldn't comprehend even a month ago, two months ago, for these guys not to care about the majors anymore, which is a real possibility, will take away from the importance of the major championships. You can exist with professional golf having a PGA Tour and European Tour over here and a live over here, and four times a year, these guys all compete against each other. You almost bring more importance to the majors in a, in a, in a, in a real capitalist business sort of perspective. And if you eliminate these guys, I think you're fracturing it even more because if you tell Dustin Johnson he can't play in the Masters anymore, he's still a Masters champion. I don't think he's going to care that much. I really don't. Brooks has four majors. Patrick Reed won the Masters. Phil has six. I I don't think – I think they have more leverage, honestly, right now than the board of directors do, the guys who run the majors, the guy the, – the, the old white men in a cigar-filled room – don't have the power, which is an incredible dynamic. It's an interesting point. There, there's a loophole. There's a loophole for I, I don't know about all of the majors. I think at least three of them. The 20th criteria is special exemptions. You know, there's there's 20 criteria to, to qualify for the US Open. There's 19 things that you can control. And then if you, if you don't do any of those and they want you in. You can get a special exemption. Um, but before Phil won the PJ Championship last year, which is crazy to say, the USGA announced <laughs> that they were going to give him a special exemption so he could try to win that career Grand Slam. Right. Now he's exempt for the next – well, he earned a five-year exemption. He's got four shots left um, based on that. So so that is technically a loophole, although I don't think you want to be Mike Wan and saying, yes, uh, we want Phil. Uh, yes, we want Brooks. Bryson, uh, no, sorry, not this year. Patrick Reed, don't even think about it. Uh, I don't think you want to be, you know, picking, you know, necessarily picking the names. Um, but technically, there's a loophole there. The Masters is in the most interesting position because unless this vote is made public, which I would be shocked if it is, the Masters has eight months that they can still sit on this. They don't have to make a decision for a long time how they feel about live golf. Um, they can sit back, let the chips fall, and just maybe go where the wind is blowing. At this point, the USGA had to be the first one to step up, and it was so it was so soon after when Liv debuted, it would have been a real shock to the system if they would have been like, no. You guys can't come. No, Bryson, who won our national championship in 2020, you're not allowed to play. Like, there would have just been so much blowback to that, even though I think the public support is still very much in the favor of the PGA Tour. So so at this let's point... Play this, let's play this okay, out a little bit. Okay, so say they say they don't get world ranking points, Okay, and, and these guys are not exempt into the, into the majors. Think about the U.S. Open now, okay? You're going to have basically a live golf event of as a qualifier for a US Open. Those guys are going to go to they're going to go through qualifying like you and I do every single year and they're going to show up and play against, you know, Jim Smith and and plumbers and electricians. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be Brooks and Bryson and Phil and DJ and Patrick Reed trying to, you know, among a field of 150 guys for three spots. But that's what's so crazy about this. Like and that, exactly because you're not going to get those other guys who should earn the right to be there. Well, and that's the thing. I think it's contradictory for 
a body like the USGA to say the live golf guys are welcome to play in our event. But when you're sitting around the table saying yay or nay, if whether or not they league they should they chose to participate in should receive world golf rankings, a no vote is a no vote for live golf. But by letting these guys play in your event, that's a yes vote for live golf. So I don't really comprehend how someone can say, no, you don't get world ranking points, but you can play in my major tournament, which is why ultimately I think they will get the world golf ranking points, which is a, I mean, if that happens, it is huge for live. The PGA tour has next to no leverage at that point. Monahan, Norman said Monahan should recuse himself. I don't know why the hell he would do that. He has a very powerful voice in professional golf, even though it's been perhaps a little too meek through this whole process. Like if you're Jay Monahan, aren't you staying in that room and you're voting no as much as you can? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, Monahan is a separate subject. I think he's mismanaged this entire thing from the get-go and, and probably yeah. put the PGA Tour in a much worse position than they could be if he would have had the foresight and, and put his ego aside. That's beside the point. Looking at these names, European Tour, Chief Executive, Keith Pelly. Guess what event comes to the European Tour every year for the last four years? The Saudi International. Yeah. So how are you going to say, I vote no because I don't believe in what these guys are doing? By the way, sure. Uh, do we just sign an extension for our, our Saudi International that, <laughs> that we're playing every year? It's called now, the Saudi International. And, and now the PGA Tour has just strengthened its bond with the European Tour. So how how does that work out? How do you make sense of the PGA Tour saying – Oh, these guys are going after the blood money. By the way, we've just strengthened our partnership with the European Tour for 13 years, which promotes the Saudi International every single year. So how, how does it all work? So the European Tour really can't vote no consciously. That's what's so interesting about all of this. If I was to tell you, like when when Pumpkin Ridge was announced as a venue, so much of this was all theoretical. We're recording this on Thursday night. Before Nick and I started recording, I said to Nick, I just I just watched Phil Mickelson hit a ball OB on a par five that I did about four months ago. Golf stars, they're just like us. The fact that this has all come to fruition and they're playing in America and they have gotten a lot of big names, albeit most of them past their prime or not at the peak of their powers anymore, they still have a hell of a lot of names. It's it's amazing what has happened. Um, so just, just, just on the record and we can put a button on this cause I know we've been talking about it for a while. I think they will get awarded world golf ranking points. You think they will not. I might've, I might've talked my way the other way out of it. Yeah. This conversation. I mean, just looking at that, you know, my, my initial reaction is Jay Monahan will rally his cronies and, and they'll vote no. But the more we talk about it and I look at these names and the other interests they have, you know. I think the right thing is to, to award them the points. And I think there's probably enough powers on here that will probably vote that way. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna flip sides like you and say they'll they'll get the points. Yeah, I mean I I I just think that what they think they would be doing by not awarding world ranking points will have the actual opposite effect because they'll then break off more and you'll lose these guys. Anyway, it's the most fascinating story. I just it's just amazing. I mean, look at the names of these tours that get world ranking points. They're they're crazy. Well, I'm a little I bit I think I could up. compete on the Nordic Alps tour. <laughs> no, you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I think that's um, still a pretty high standard of golf. <laughs> All right, Nick. It is time 
for the Mad Golfer of the Week, where we talk about a golfer who leaves a review on the internet that is so scathing we have to share it with you on the podcast. Please send your submissions to attheturnpod at gmail.com. As always, the Mad Golfer of the Week is brought to you by T-Box Coffee, a roast-to-order coffee brand in the heart of Southern California, packaged for the golfer who can shoot 68, the golfer who shoots 112, and every score in between. Let T-Box fuel your morning rounds. Promo code TURN15 at checkout. Now, Nick, we've been doing this bit for a while. I have to say, without question, this is the most eloquently written Mad Golfer of the Week we have had to date. So the Mad Golfer had somebody proofread his his Mad Review. This is JC92587, and this is about East Moreland Golf Course, the oldest course in the city of Portland. And let me just say that JC articulated something that I've been trying to say about this place, but could never properly put into words for years. It is titled, Just Something About This Course. Quote, I've played here numerous times, and while historic, there's just something increasingly unattractive about Eastmoreland, feeling more like a practice grounds than anything else. Being inserted into a public space, a budding industrial infrastructure, and the notorious proximity to pedestrians and homeless have not helped the appeal of this course. While unfortunately these factors are out of the control of the course itself, it detracts that much more when the course conditions and amenities are in poor shape. The fairways were in the worst condition I've seen since playing over the last two years. An excellent drive would find itself in hard, slick mud surrounded by clover. I understand this course is susceptible to rain, but I've played here in winter conditions, and at least the approaches had grass available to hit off, albeit soggy. If you're seeking that memorable feel of a weekend golf outing with your foursome, invest in a better quality track where the weekend rate feels justified. Preach, JC. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Wow. Nothing wrong with a with a clover patch here and there on, on a golf course, but um, no. The problem is East Mo is good about two weeks of the year. It, there's mm-hmm. there's rainy season and dry season, and I really think based on how the wet wet the spring was here, I'm gonna catch it today. I'm out there playing right now as you're listening on East Moreland. I hope I'm having a great time. That is your mad golfer of the week. Now, every time when I introduce Nick Rules, which is brought to you by Matchstick Golf Turn 20 at checkout, I tease that a theme song is coming. Now, Nick, you may think that it's complete nonsense. I've not actually done any homework or research on making or acquiring a theme song. That is not the case. There is someone named Marimba Mike out there who's a professional jingle writer. Mm. Do you care to venture a guess at my quote for a jingle of Nick Rules? 750 bucks. $500. Wow. $500. That's about, about $495 too much. So, folks, please go to Matchstick Golf and use promo code <laughs> TURN20 at checkout so we can afford a Nick Rules theme song. Take it away, Nick. All right, Joe. Well, as you know, and a lot of the listeners know, I've got an 18-month-old at home. And mm. our bedtime routine, we read him books every night before he goes to sleep. And some of the books I just... You read them a million times and you just nitpick these things. And one of the books in particular 
Little blue truck goes to the city. It drives me nuts. It's about this truck who's from the country and he goes to the city and he's just so intimidated by three lanes of traffic and like grocery trucks and garbage trucks and police cars and he can't handle it. So he he has a temper tantrum. He tells everybody to drive in one lane so he doesn't have to feel so stressed out and they make it to be like everything is so great and I, I can't stand it. And so I, I said, okay, it's, I, I, it's just so dumb. And so – one night I'm reading him this book and I, I went on Amazon and I just typed in golf children's book and I bought a book called The Little Aces for Gavin so I can read The Little Aces before he goes to bed and he loves it. But I found some problems with this book too. Now it's about these two little boys and they love playing golf and they go out and they hit great drives on the first shot and one of them finds his ball in the middle of the fairway. Second one cannot find his ball. And they go and there's a, there's a turtle that says, I'm not your ball. And there's a bird and there's an eagle and there's a snake and there's a rabbit. And there's a chipmunk and they're, they're interacting with all these animals looking for his ball and he can't find it. And finally he says, ah, it's been so long, brother, why don't you just finish the hole? I'll take a lost ball penalty. Let's just finish and let's just keep our game going. Then only when the other little brother holes out, he finds that his ball was in the hole the entire time and he had made a hole in one. And of course, the first thing I said, the first thing my wife Ashley said is, your three minutes time is expired so long ago. That is against the, you, that's a lost ball penalty. Re T, go back there. And so I, I've, I've wanted to know if you hit a hole in one, right? But you don't see it go in and you're looking for your ball and you can't find it and your time expires. And eventually, whether it's four minutes or, or 15 minutes later, you find it in the hole. Are you penalty free wow. or or is that a penalty? And and honestly, I, I couldn't find the answer. Um, the USGA does not have a, a specification in in the rule book. I looked for like if your ball is hold, can you incur a penalty if, you know, for a ball that's not in play? But it, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't find the answer. Wow. Um, so that's that's kind of Nick rules unless, you know, I mean, I am assuming if you if you if you knock it in the hole, you're, you're, you're putting one down on the scorecard no matter how long it takes to find the ball. But um I was I was looking for a technical answer and didn't find it. A couple thoughts. Uh-huh. It's the best Nick rules by a mile. You've set the bar impossibly high from here on out. Second of all, I have to imagine if you if the ball if your ball is in the hole, your hole is over. Whether or not you know it, I think your hole is over at that point. Is, that's is, isn't I that think. how you would play that, it? That's how I interpret it. I mean, think of it from the other side. You would never Make a hole in one. Take four minutes to find your ball. Say, oh, I found it too late. I got to go back to the team. <laughs> Hit three. That just sounds way more ludicrous than anything else, right? Yeah. And yeah. if if the rules of golf are supposed to be about the spirit of the game, taking a hole away, a hole in one away from someone <laughs> is not the spirit of the game. Yeah, I agree. Incredible. Wow. Great work out of you. Great work out of Gavin and Ashley as well. That is Nick Rules. A reminder, folks, the next major championship is right around the corner. A reminder, rate and review at the turn. Leave your open championship winner in your review of at the turn on Apple Podcasts. If you're right, Piper Golf will send you a sampler pack of their golf balls. Nick, do you know who's going to win the British Open? Don't tell me, but do you know? I do know. Okay. I think it's pretty obvious. I can't can't wait for you to pick Tiger Woods to win the 150th (laughs) British Open. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.